Welcome, and thanks for checking out the Living Word Family Church Sermon Podcast. Before we get to the message, we'd like to invite you to check out Living Word Family Church if you don't already have a church home. For more information, you can check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. Good evening. We were, uh, we were in, you can open your Bible to 1 Thessalonians. I'm not going to continue uh, on Sunday morning's message, but as I've done often, on Wednesday nights, just going to kind of uh, approach one part of it from a different angle, a bonus teaching on Thessalonians. We, as we were there Sunday morning, and I'm going to read a passage that we kind of glossed over in my hurry to get to something else. But in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5, Paul writes, For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit, and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. Uh, and uh, after that, one of, the main, one of the main points of Sunday's sermon was to point out that because of how firmly they had received the word of the Lord, responded to the gospel, and this, after a relatively short visit, Paul was only there, we know he was there three weeks, we don't know how much longer, but all indications were this was a quick visit. He didn't camp out there for a year and a half like he did uh, with the Corinthians or the Ephesians. So even after a short time, they had, they had embraced this to the point where they were living it and sharing it, really to an extraordinary degree. In verse 8 there it says, For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. Now, was there a reasonable and logical presentation of the gospel message? I believe there was. It doesn't say uh, that the, you know, the word of God did not come to you in word or the gospel did not come to you in word. It said it didn't come with word only, but also in power. There was a guy, I... I I don't remember his name. I don't know if I ever knew the guy. I just heard this story from Mike Goolsbay in, in his, uh, Mike Goolsbay pastor's Destiny Church in Tulsa, but he was for many years the youth minister at Grace Fellowship Church uh, under Bob Yandian. And uh, in the, his early days as youth pastor there, he had a speaker come in for his youth. And even if I knew his name, I probably wouldn't share it. But this guy showed up without his Bible. And he made a big deal out of announcing he didn't have his Bible. I don't know if he had forgotten it or lost it in travel or what, but he made this one of his central points of his uh, off-the-cuff message is, I don't need no stinking Bible. Uh, I don't need the notes. I don't think he said stinking Bible. That's just, you know, you don't need no stinking badges. We don't, we, we don't, I don't need a Bible. Why do you, why do we need a Bible? Because we have something better than the Bible. We have the author of the Bible living on the inside of us. He said, we shouldn't need to be leaning on the Bible all the time. We shouldn't, and, and, and just began to speak kind of disparagingly about it. And I don't know, know what all the guy said, but just on the basis of that, Mike told me, I will never have that guy in again. We can't do this without the written word of God. This is what, this is all right, this is what our, this is God's reveal, revelation of himself, revelation of his will. You can't have faith without the revealed will of God. So, uh, but, power to, power. Our presentation was in power. Uh, something they witnessed, 
along with the preaching and teaching of the gospel, caused them to receive it. And not just receive it, suffer affliction for it. Paul references that directly. They received it with much affliction, but they still received it. And still preach it to the neighboring regions. Again, what was it? There had to have been something. They came in, and it could have been a very logical, reasonable presentation. The kind of thing that would make them go, hmm, sounds good. But is that the kind of thing that's going to cause you to hold up under affliction after a three-week seminar with the apostle? No, there was power. Something they witnessed, something they experienced in the midst of the preaching and teaching that made them go out there and start sharing it, even in the midst of suffering, even in the midst of affliction. Now, there's an old saying or a truism among youth ministers that I'll share with you here in a second. But it goes back to things we would do uh, and, and youth ministers continue to do. And there's nothing inherently wrong with it. But things we would do to try to get kids to show up, have some kind of a theme night, pack the house, invite your friends, and we'll have games and, of course, food. If you feed them, they will come. And we dream up big event-style nights, battle of the sexes, this sort of thing. And sometimes they came off pretty well. But the saying goes like this. Whatever you do to get them there, you have to do to keep them there. I was talking to a pastor in Danville many years ago. They had a wonderful facility, a lot of cool stuff. Uh, And he was telling us about how they had gotten a couple hundred kids to show up for a youth meeting with a hamburger eating contest. And then nobody, hardly anybody came back the next week. So then they had to, well, we're going to have a pizza eating contest. And it was one thing after another, and they're going broke, paying for all this stuff just to get the numbers in the seats. Another story from Mike Goolsbee, a little later on in his uh, youth pastoring days, after he had overseen the, the construction of a 20,000 square foot youth facility, uh, just wonderful uh, outreach, wonderful ministry. And he gets a call from one of his student leaders that she's not going to be there that night because she's going with her friend over to this other church. Well, why? You're not leaving us, are you? No, but tonight the youth pastor is paying his kids $10 for every guest they bring. And so, and so all, their, all these kids in the youth group are calling their Christian friends who they know or, you know, it's, it, there's nothing challenging about, hey, if you'll just come with me tonight, I'll split the 10 with you. And uh, so he calls this guy up. You know, he, he knew him. They weren't tight, but he, he, you know, he was, had a relationship with the guy. And calls him up and says, man, what are you doing? You are literally buying my kids for the night. And he said, Mike, I'm sorry. I'm just under tremendous pressure uh, to produce numbers. My pastor has got to see growth, and I will do anything. John George, speaking about that incident and others like it, said this. That's not growth. That's swelling. And swelling is an indication that there's something wrong. Now, every church experiences some transfer growth. And that's okay. We came out of one church to start this one. The Millicis did. 
And many of you or many people in the early days of Living Word came from other churches. What we would have termed at the moment, you know, when we uh, became uh, baptized in the Holy Spirit and became acquainted with the power of God, recognizing that we were in churches that flat out denied these things. Okay? It's like, well, suddenly I want to go from a dead church to something else. Uh, But many, many people came into knowing Jesus Christ you know, going from non-Christian to Christian in this church. There's nothing wrong. People will leave at different, at different times, different seasons. People move, okay? There's nothing sinful about transfer growth. But what we want is to grow by bringing the lost in to know Christ, right? But here's where I'm going with all that. This isn't a message about that. You remember... Oh, several months back on Wednesday nights, we, were, we spent quite a bit of time in the book of John. And we were going over several different miraculous episodes in the ministry of Jesus as recorded in the Gospel of John. And there was this time, we might as well read it, in John chapter 6. We'll begin in verse 1. And there's already been a healing or two. And in John 6, 1, I'm sorry, I'm having a heck of a time keeping this straight. John 6, 1, and after these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and then a great multitude followed him because they saw his signs, which he performed on those who were diseased. And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that everyone may have a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon's brother, said to him, There's a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? Then Jesus said, make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in that place. So the men sat down in number about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves. And when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples and the disciples to those sitting down. And likewise of the fish as much as they wanted. So when they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. Therefore they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves which were left over by those who had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, This is truly the prophet who has come into the world. Now, then Jesus leaves the crowd because they were ready to crown him king on the spot. And he leaves And then he catches up with the disciples a little bit later. They're out on the water, and he catches up by walking on the water. And then they're in Capernaum. And the people who had been with him followed him there. All right? And this is where that whole, I love it, it's that scene where, you know, they get up the next day and like, Jesus isn't here. Where is he over in Capernaum? So they go over there, and they see Jesus. They're like, Jesus, what are you doing here? You know, they make it look like we just all happen to be in the same place. And Jesus is totally on to them. And look what he says in John six twenty six, He says, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Now they go on to have this whole conversation about bread. They try two or three different times to get him to repeat the bread miracle. 
I'm like, well, show us, a, show us a different sign. You know, uh, Moses, for a sign, he gave our uh, ancestors manna in the wilderness. And Jesus is like, no, I'll give you the bread. What I'm offering is the bread from heaven. And they're like, yeah, give us this bread always. He's like, I am the bread from heaven. He really has to nail this point down. But back to 26, when he says, you're not here because you saw the signs. You're here because of the bread. But the bread was one of the signs, wasn't it? Kind of was. But you remember when they first showed up, it says in uh, 6.2, Then a great multitude followed him because they saw his signs, which he performed on those who were diseased. This is the sign he's talking about. You're not over here because you saw my healing miracles. You're over here because you want more bread. The indication to me being, if they had come over there because they saw the healing miracles, Jesus is totally okay with that. I referenced uh, Sunday. I referenced King Asa, and I'm going to reference him again. I'm actually going to read a little bit. King Asa, in Second Chronicles chapter 16, he was a king. He was an early king of Judah, father of Jehoshaphat. And they both had a similar uh, thing happen in their lives. Hey, Asa had it happen first, where a superior army comes marching toward Judah, and he goes out to meet them with an army half the size, but he trusts the Lord, and it's a rout, and they praise the Lord, and they come back, and the prophet says, well done, keep doing what you're doing. And Asa had been a good king for, I forget, 10, 15 years before that battle, and then after that, he goes another 20 years or so, 20 or 25, and the whole time, he's cleansing the land of idols. He's tearing down statues. He's uh, I mean, he is really pursuing the things of God. He is being a good king. And then another enemy army comes, and he panics, and he enters into a treaty that he shouldn't have. Uh, And God tells him, you shouldn't have done that. I was going to use you to judge him. Uh, In fact, let's read what the prophet says this time, different prophet. But it comes to him in 2 Chronicles 16, beginning in verse 7. Hanani the seer, at that time Hanani the seer came to Asa king of Judah and said to him, because you have relied on the king of Syria and have not relied on the Lord your God, therefore the army of the king of Syria has escaped from your hand. Were the Ethiopians and the Lubim were not a huge army with very many chariots and horsemen, yet because you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. In this you have done foolishly. Therefore, from now on, you shall have wars. Now, there's a whole sermon there that I don't have time to preach, but the whole point there being, hey, if the only thing that's going to keep you depending on God is a constant crisis, I'll just provide you with another crisis and another one. But this is not a pleasing word to Asa. This is after 25 years of peace in the land. And now he's saying, now from here on out, you're going to have wars. And verse 10, and Asa was angry. Then Asa was angry with the seer and put him in prison, for he was enraged at him because of this. And Asa oppressed some of the people at that time. So overnight, he goes from being a good king to a bad king because he gets this word from the prophet. And the prophet didn't tell him, you're damned. Didn't say that God's going to take his hands off the land. He didn't curse him. He just said, you're going to have wars from now on. You forgot how to act in the face of war. I guess because you'd gone too long without one. So we're just going to keep the wars coming. It'll keep you close to God. But Asa responds horribly. Throws the prophet in prison. Starts to oppress the people. And then we read down in uh, 
Verse 12. Still in 2 Chronicles 16. Verse 12. And in the 39th year of his reign, Asa became diseased in his feet, and his malady was severe. Yet, in his disease, he did not seek the Lord, but the physicians. Now, this is not saying that it's a sin to see a doctor. What I'm getting, and I'm reading between the lines, but not much, is can you believe it? Asa, who had done so much good for so long and led so well and had trusted the Lord, now, because he was pouting, even when he got severely diseased, refused to turn to the Lord. What I'm reading between the lines is he could have and should have. It would make no sense to have that verse in there if the assumption is Asa didn't have healing coming anymore because he did one displeasing thing to God. No. The, it, the, the whole logic of this passage rests on the opposite assumption. That here's one thing. All right. So he's been pouting too long. He should have grown up. But you would think that a severe disease would soften him and call him to cry out uh, to God for mercy. And even then he didn't. And he ends up dying. Same thing here. Jesus, I believe, is telling them, if you had come over here because of the healings, I wouldn't be rebuking you. And some people would say that. Oh, well, you're just following Jesus because you want something from him. You want healing or something like that. Jesus had done these signs, and he says, you're not coming because of those signs you saw. You came over here because you want more bread. If you'd come over here for healing, you'd be getting healing and teaching. Brother Hagen uh, said, and he's not the only one that said it. Uh, he's the first one I heard say it. I don't know if this originated with him. But he used to say this about healing uh, and healing, uh, healing lines, healing services, and, and the miracle ministry of healing. He would say, healing is the dinner bell. You ever, ever heard that? Him or anybody else say that? Healing's the dinner bell. Meaning, uh, and I used to struggle with that. And, and I still do if, if what you mean by that is healing is something God does to get your attention so that then he can give you uh, the meal, which is the gospel. But I don't struggle with that saying anymore because I, here's the deal. Healing is part of the meal. It's the dinner bell, but it's also it is wrapped up in the gospel. The gospel message includes physical healing. It says over in Acts, I just, uh, it wouldn't be that hard to find, but I didn't think of it in time to put it in my notes, that Paul was preaching the gospel, and there was sitting there a man who'd been lame, what, from birth? I forget. But he's sitting there. He was lame. And Paul said he was preaching the gospel and perceived that the man had faith for healing. Now, why would the man, by listening to Paul preach the gospel, have faith for healing? Because part of what Paul's preaching is healing. Why? Because it's part of the gospel. Thessalonians, our gospel did not come to you in word only, but in power. What you do to bring people in, you have to do to keep them. And God does that. He doesn't say, ah, I got your attention with healing, but surprise, I'm not going to do that anymore. Now that you're here, I'm going to give you the important stuff. No, come in. There's more where that came from. There's always more healing. Jesus did the feeding miracle twice. 
He walked on water once. He did other miracles. But everywhere he went, he healed. He healed all the time. And he healed everybody that came to him. Okay, now, a word quickly about the bread, because I'm going to pray for the sick tonight, so I, don't, I want to wrap this up here in the next minute or two. When I say that, you, you look at this, well, does this, can you take by extension that uh, Jesus, since he was unwilling to repeat the bread miracle, that, uh, is that an argument against God's, God as a source of provision? Is this an argument against prosperity? And it's not. It's just that this was an extraordinary, even then, I want you to understand that Jesus, uh, he didn't turn rocks into bread. He didn't cause bread and fish to materialize out of thin air. He took what was there and multiplied it. The Bible says in the Old Testament, it doesn't say he gives you wealth. It says he gives you power to get wealth. He gives us tools, he gives us gifts, he gives us favor, and he can do miraculous things and does them. But typically, his provision, his supernatural provision, even when he prospers us, he doesn't do it by sending ravens through the window with $20 bills in their mouths. Right? There's divine connections, there's favor, there is multiplication, there is the, the return on our investment. He spells it out in Malachi. You bring the tithe into the storehouse and test me now on this. See if I won't open the windows of heaven and pour out blessing there's not room enough to contain. With healing, it's just a gift. It's just there. It is part. It is something that we freely receive because it's been purchased for us. And Jesus demonstrated that perfectly and consistently throughout his ministry. So, I believe that uh, Jesus understood the principle. What you do to get people there you got to do to keep him there and he's more than willing to do that no question about it our eternal salvation praise and worship team you can be coming up here what's what's uh, left of you in here right now our eternal salvation from hell from sin if it included nothing else is still worth the affliction is still worth everything uh, every decision we have to make but that's just not the way our salvation is spelled out in the Bible. It includes these other things. It includes, I believe, the, the first benefit in the line of, of, of benefits for, the, for, for salvation that's included in the salvation package is healing. Amen? So stand up with me. I'm going to pray real quick. And then, uh, if there's sickness in your body, if you're fighting a physical battle, I just want to pray for you. According to the word of God, lay hands on the sick, they shall recover. But come up here in faith. Don't come up here hoping and wondering. Just come up here and say, yeah, yeah, that's mine. I believe that that's something that, uh, that's what those stripes were for. Jesus didn't have to, you've heard this before, but I never get tired of hearing it. I sure never get tired of saying it. I can't imagine you get tired of hearing it. Jesus didn't have to take those stripes to save us from our sin. All right? Most people, historically, did not take the beating that Jesus took before they were crucified because they didn't survive the beating. They were either going to be scourged or they were going to be crucified. Jesus was scourged first, and, he, and it, says, it tells us that those stripes were for our healing. By his stripes, we were healed. So he paid a dear price, almost a separate price, to make sure we understood that healing is included in this covenant. So we don't need to be shy about asking for it. We don't need to worry that God's going to think we're being selfish. Well, I saved you from hell. Isn't that enough? 
He knows what we're made of. He knows how important physical healing is to us. And again, the greatest testimony to God's willingness to heal is the ministry of Jesus. Amen. So, let me ask you this. Are you saved? Healing is something that Jesus empowered the disciples to do when they went out. They could heal the sick. Of course, they were in Judea. But healing is a covenant right for the believer. I'll lay hands on you tonight if you're not saved. But you can come up here in faith believing that it's yours if you are a believer. I'm not saying, hey, get saved just so you can get healed. And I think everybody in here is saved anyway. Just got to say it anyway. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ for your forgiveness with your eternal destiny, make that decision tonight. Do that first. And if you're up in line up here, grab me before I lay hands on you and say, I need Jesus. You'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe that God has raised him from the dead. You shall be saved. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your Thank you for the sign. Thanks for listening. We hope that this message encouraged and equipped you in your walk with Christ. Make sure to follow us on Facebook or Instagram to stay updated with what's going on at Living Word Family Church. Have a great day.